But let's open our Bibles now to Revelation chapter 21. And the title of this morning's message is All Things Made New. And I wanted to start off with a little graphic here because, um, you know, we've been in Revelation and, and I'm hoping to get through at least the first eight verses today. If we get through the whole chapter, I'll be very surprised. But I definitely would like to get through at least the first eight verses. But this is a, uh, an interesting book. We, we've been in the book of Revelation for a year, a little more than a year now on Sunday mornings. And I don't apologize for that because this book is so important in the times that we live in today. We're already seeing things line up the way the Bible tells us. It's no surprise the way things are happening in the world right now. It's taken us by surprise. We don't like it. Nobody likes it. But things are just going along as as scheduled, as God sees it. Remember, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He can see everything as if it's already been completed. Do you understand that that's who he is? You and I don't even know what's going to happen 10 minutes from now. The electricity could go off, and I hope it doesn't. But we have no idea. But God knows all things. He knows all things. I would encourage you to read Psalm 139. It talks about God's omniscience, the fact that he knows all things. He can't learn anything because he knows everything. Try to play chess with God. I challenge all those Russian guys to, to, to try and, and, and play chess with God. You'll start the game, and he'll just say, checkmate. I haven't moved a piece. Well, go ahead. You'll find out you're going to be checkmated. See, God knows, and he's all-powerful. There is nothing outside of his realm that he doesn't have control over. In fact, doesn't the Bible say in Romans 13 that all the powers that be are ordered or ordained by God? All the power that's been given to rulers and everybody in the earth has been on loan, and they are, they are responsible and culpable for the power that they wield. See, that's who God is. Do you serve a God that's small, or do you have a God that's beyond comprehension? Well, if you're reading your Bible and you know Jesus Christ, you know that he is way beyond comprehension. He dwells in unapproachable light. And only, only when he's veiled, or only when he's unveiled and, and, and brought into human flesh and tabernacled among us as he was in the very beginning through Mary, God Almighty was tabernacled with flesh to dwell among us, to pay the price for our sin, and then die on the cross, the punishment that you and I deserve. And then he arose. He ascended into heaven, and he said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am you might also be. And so this morning, as we look at the passage that we're looking at, um, that we're going to be looking at, Jesus has prepared a place. He has prepared a place, and maybe even preparing a place. I don't know how much time he needs. I don't imagine much. But he knows each one of you. And we're going to see that today, that he's prepared a place for you, that when he comes back, he's going to receive us, and we're going to be with him forevermore at the rapture of the church. I wanted to show you this graphic up on the board because, or up on the screen, because this is really just like a, a, a timeline, an end time calendar, if you will. And if you notice that we're right here, um, Jesus was crucified. We know that three days later he was crucified, or resurrected, I'm sorry. And obviously this uh, is not to scale <laughs> uh, these days and times. This is just a timeline. But then we have this church age, which is on the day of Pentecost is when the church was born. And ever since then, up until right now, we are over here near the end. We are over here near the end of the church age. And the church age ends when Jesus comes in the clouds. And he says in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 through 8, and you can look in 1 Corinthians 15 as well, he comes and he, he, the, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. We're going to hear the trump of God. It's going to be a sound. It's going to be a moment that only the church knows. It's going to be invisible to everybody else. They're not going to understand what's happening. They're not even going to know anything's happened until it happens. And then they're going to realize, oh my goodness, something has happened that's never happened before. All believers taken. All those who are dead in Christ in the church are going to rise first. And then we, which are alive and remain, will be caught up together. And this old corruptible body will put on incorruption. This mortality will put on immortality. And we will ascend to God just in the same body that Jesus rose from. We are going to have a similar body and we're going to be with him forever. And he says, I've gone to prepare a place. I got a place for you. I know exactly what you want in your, in your, in your house. 
And believe me, as we look at the dimensions, probably not today, but next week, as we look at the dimensions of how big this new Jerusalem is, believe me, there is going to be a way more than enough room for all of redeemed mankind. You're going to have a big, big place to be in. And it's going to be probably custom tailored just for you. It's not going to be a place of crying, of a fear, of, of compromise, of sin. All that is going to be passed away. And I don't know about you, as we have looked at Revelation, we've gone through the tribulation period. And by the way, let me just get back to this here, this, this diagram. Because after the rapture of the church occurs, we know that there may be a, a time period. We don't know, but ultimately, there's going to be a tribulation period of seven years where God is going to pour out his wrath on a, on a world that has rejected his son, Jesus Christ. The church will not be there. The church will be up above in heaven. We will be in heaven, but those who have rejected Christ and have not received him as Lord and Savior, are going to go through this tribulation period. They will have an opportunity to receive Christ, but the deception is going to be so great, it's going to be near impossible. Not impossible, but it's going to be extremely difficult. You and I have never experienced the kind of deception that's coming upon the world. It's already there, but it's going to get a whole lot worse, so much so that you're not going to know what end is up. If you're not a born-again believer in Christ, and if that scares you, I don't mean to scare you. Actually, I do. Somebody told me that if I didn't turn from my sin, that I was going to go to hell. And that may sound like a really horrible thing, and it is. Do you know that God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked? It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do Do you know that? That's his heart. He doesn't desire anybody go through that tribulation period. But because man is who he is, he's stubborn to the core, he's rebellious to the core, he's got the sin nature, and only the Spirit of God can give you a new nature, suppressing that old nature that you were born with. That's why the Bible says you must be born again. Didn't Jesus say that to Nicodemus? Nicodemus, you're a very religious man, you're a Pharisee, you're a religious leader in Israel, but you, you, you don't have the most important thing, you don't have the Spirit of God in you. You're going through all the motions. You got, you, you got everything going for you, but you don't have the one thing. You don't have me. And that's why Jesus said to him, you must be born again. And I would encourage you this morning, you must be born again. If you're not born again, you must be born again. It's not some kind of cult. It's not some kind of crazy thing. It's the truth. It says it right there in John 3. Read the chapter when you go home. If you've never read it before, read it. It's, Jesus said, you must be born again, and no one can come unto the Father except through me, Jesus said. And you can't even see the kingdom of God. You can't even comprehend the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Unless you have invited Christ into your heart, the Spirit of God comes inside of you, and he never leaves. He never leaves. Even though you're going to be imperfect, you're still going to make mistakes. He's not an Indian giver. He doesn't give something and then take it back from you. No, because God knows that when you give your heart to him, when you say, God, I have sinned, I'm an unholy man, please forgive me and come into my heart and come into my life and consume me. Will you do that? Have you done that? You need to do that. And you keep asking until you have confirmation in your own heart that you are a child of God and there is nothing and no one that can take that out of your hand. It is secure as more secure than anything because God knows what he's doing and he is the one who's doing it. And so this tribulation period goes on for seven years and last uh, week or the week before last, we looked at the second coming of Christ in Revelation chapter 19 and we saw that he came physically to the earth and then he sets up his thousand year reign and we looked at the millennium We looked at this thousand-year reign of Christ, and the Bible says that you and I are going to rule and reign with him. We're going to rule and reign with him in new bodies. We're going to get a new body. Are you looking forward to that upgrade that you don't have to pay Microsoft for? That you don't have to pay Apple for? I'm looking forward to that upgrade. I'm looking forward to it. Nothing more that I want, because I need a body that's outfitted for eternity. I need a body like Jesus' body when he ascended into heaven. That'll withstand eternity. It'll never get sick. You'll never have to get a flu shot. You'll never have to go get a COVID-19 shot. You won't have to get a bypass. You won't lose your mind when you're 85. 
You won't have Alzheimer's. You won't have a stroke. You won't think evil thoughts. It'll be a great blessing. And then we also looked at last week this great white throne judgment at the end of the thousand year reign of Christ. It says that the false prophet and the Antichrist, who is also known as the beast, they are cast into the lake of fire. And then there's a great white throne judgment, a judgment that hopefully nobody in here will ever see. And if you're a believer, you will never see this great white throne judgment. Only unbelievers will be present at this great white throne judgment. It'll be a judgment that will show you all the things that you've done. The Bible says in Revelation 20 that the books were open, and then the book, the book of life. All your deeds that you have done. Can you imagine the horror of that? Living a life of hell, living a, a life of disobedience and rebellion and doing it your way, and then finally dying, and then going to hell, and then, and then being resurrected, because you're going to be resurrected even as an unbeliever at that white throne judgment, because you too will be outfitted with a body that's going to withstand the lake of fire, the second death, for eternity, where the, where the devil will be and the false prophet and the antichrist. You need a body too. If you're one of those people. But anyone at this white throne judgment, there is no hope for them. And believe me, that is not God's fault. That is our fault if we are in that situation, in that place. Hopefully none of you. But that will be our fault. God doesn't send anyone to the lake of fire. He doesn't send anyone there. You make the decision. You're the one who sends you there by your choices that you make in your life. Remember when the Lord spoke to Moses, and it's recorded for us in the book of Deuteronomy, he told the children of Israel, before they crossed over into the promised land, what did he tell them? He says, I've set before you life and death, therefore choose life. Choose life. God is pro-life. He is not pro-choice. You have a right to decide, but he wants you to live. He wants you to live. And so, at that white throne judgment, all who have lived a life rejecting God, their deeds are brought before them. And God will be able to show even a sea of humanity resurrected. He will be able to show them, probably in an instant, every one of them will know in an instant exactly what they've done. And there'll be no hope for them. Can you imagine the horror of that? You're standing before Almighty God and you know that there's no hope for you. But because God is the just God, he is just and holy, he must show you. Why are you going to this place? Why do I have to, why have you chosen this place? Here is why you're going there. Here's why you've chosen to go to the lake of fire. Because look at these books that we have. And you're going to look at them and you're going to go, oh my gosh. I can't believe, I mean, there's a whole record, dates, down to the time, the milliseconds, it's all right here. I'm going to be able to understand, and, 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 they'll, and, and I'll just be able to, there'll be no, nothing I can say. And then they'll be cast into the lake of fire. But the Bible says, and we're looking at this today, is that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. This is the eternal state for the believer. The eternal state for the unbeliever is this place down here after the second resurrection at the white throne judgment when they are sent to the lake of fire. That is the second death for those who have rejected Christ. And it's eternal. It never ends forever and ever. In the Greek, it means forever and ever. Forever and ever. Yet you and I will have resurrected bodies and we will experience the new heavens and the new earth. This current one will dissolve or be remade. I'm not sure what, what that exactly means, but when we get there, it won't really matter, will it? <laughs> God is going to make a new heavens and a new earth and we will dwell there and he's going to bring new Jerusalem down, which we'll probably look at next week. We'll look at some of it today. And so that is really an outline of from the moment Christ was uh, crucified on the, on the cross until the eternal state for the unbeliever and for the believer. I put it in green because green is evergreen right? 
You're going to be alive forever. Why would anybody choose to reject Jesus? Have you rejected Jesus? Have you been content in living your own life, doing your own thing? Thinking to yourself, oh, one day when, I, when I'm done with my job and I retire to Florida and I play golf and I get my little boat and I go out and I fish for, you know, tarpon. I'll give my heart then, you know, when I got more time. You don't have time. You don't have time. Hasn't history proven that you have no time? I've known people. They're with us today. And moments later, they're not with us any longer. There was a car accident. There was a brain aneurysm. There was a something, an accident. Life is fleeting, folks, and we have to make that decision. We make the decision today. Don't delay. Do not delay. I plead with you. Do not delay. And for us who know Jesus and have known him, I want to encourage you to get in. Get into it. Your relationship with him. Get serious about your relationship with him. Get serious about the things that you do. Get serious about the things that you say. Time is shorter than it's ever been. Jesus is coming soon. He's coming I want to be ready. Do you want to be ready? Be ready. Because he wants you to be ready. His love for you is so intense. It's so great. I know it's a cliche, but when Jesus hung on that cross, he said his love for you is that much. It's huge. As he hung on the cross... Do you know the east and the west? They never meet. If you go east, you're always going east. He said, that's how big my love is for you. It never ends. It's not true with north and south. I go north, I keep going. I go south, and then I come up south, and I come back north again. But east and west never meet. That's why he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions from you. They'll never, you'll never see them again. He says he casts them into the sea of forgetfulness. There's a sea that he, throw, he chooses because you're a believer in Christ. He sees the blood on your life and he says, all that you've ever done is cast into the sea. It's behind my shoulder. I'll never look upon it again. And the devil wants to bring it up out of the ocean and go, look what he did, look what he did. And the, and the Lord's going, what, what, what are you talking about? I don't see anything but the blood of my son. Let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make you as white as snow. It's kind of a paradox, really, because blood is the hardest thing to get out of clothing. But when you're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, you're as white as snow. And your salvation is paid, and it's sure. You can have an assurance. Do you have an assurance of salvation? Do you know where you're going? Or is it I, the great I hope so? See, people who are involved in religion, when it requires something that they have to do, see, that's what religion is. And I'm way off topic here, but I'm going for it. Um, people who are involved in religion say, the religion says, you have to do this, and you have to do that, and you have to do that, and then God can bless you. Then he will love you. Then you can go to heaven, but you've got to do all this stuff. And God is saying, no, I've already done it. Did I say, didn't he say while he was on the cross, it is finished? The very last words that he said, he said, to tell us day I, which means it is paid in full. What is paid in full? The sin of man, of all of mankind has been paid in full. It's done. That's why he said it's done. It's finished. That is the work. You believe on him. That's the work. If you, if you really are hung up on works and doing something to earn your salvation, do this one thing. Believe on him whom God has sent, Jesus Christ. It's a big mystery. It's a biggest secret. He's done it all for you. So stop trying to work it out. Stop trying to make it happen. Just let him do it. To me, one of the greatest thrills of my life is realizing that I can't, I can't muster this up in myself. I got to let him do it. And there's such a wonderful freedom and a joy and a release when you just finally just say, you know what, Lord, I just want to spend time with you and read his word and worship him and love him and be in fellowship with others. 
And he does all the work for you. He does all the work in you. All you got to do is show up and love him. It's really kind of crazy. It goes against everything we believe in America. In America, you got you to work hard. You got to work for every single thing you get. And if you work hard, you're going to be successful. Thank God for America. May God restore it. May God restore her. But the Lord loves you, and he's going to make all things new. Let's look at the very, let's read through actually the first eight verses, because I'm sure that's as far as we're going to get today. Notice John says, and now this is after the great white throne judgment, after death and hell and everything else, the Satan and all those who have rejected Christ for all of eternity are going to be cast into the lake of fire. And nobody likes to talk about that, but that's the truth, folks. And sometimes the truth hurts. I would rather tell you the truth than to lie to you and say, oh, it's just going to be all pie in the sky. You can just, you know, continue in your adultery, continue in your fornication. It's okay. God loves you anyway. He does love you, but he will not receive you unless you repent of your sin. Notice verse 1. John says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. And then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And I love this. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall never be, there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. We are currently living in those former things, but these former things will pass away. And then verse 5, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these things are true and faithful. And he said, verse 6, It is done. Does that sound familiar? He said it when he was on the cross, and now he says it again. I'm done. It is done. The new Jerusalem, the new heavens, at this point in time, it's going to be done. It is done, he says, and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts, and he who overcomes shall inherit all things, not just some things, all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. That includes you too, ladies. But the cowardly, notice, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That is the eternal state for the unbeliever, the lake of fire. Very different from our destiny. So let's go back to verse 1. It says, now I saw heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. Also, there was no more sea. God is going to create all things new. And, and we will see that right before the great white throne judgment, if you just glance over in chapter 20, there in verse 11, what does it say? It says, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face, what? The earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. So this current heavens and this current earth, the stars and the moon and the, and the sun, we believe, and there's some conjecture here, but all things are going to be created new. He's either going to purify them and renew them, re, you know, whatever, or he's going to be making brand new. And I think that's what he's going to do. Are you looking forward to this new heaven and new earth? I'm looking forward to it. The curse will be removed. You and I live in a cursed world. Isn't it wonderful to think that you know, when you go to Colorado or when you go down to southwest Florida and you see the sunset, or when you go out to the Rockies out in Colorado and you look and you see the, the mountains, the snow-capped mountains and the wind just rushing and you can see the snow just whirling off the top of that, those mountains and you see the animal kingdom and all the beautiful things, that is still a fallen world that we live in. But a new heavens and a new earth where the curse is completely removed, there's going to be no more death. 
There's going to be no more death. Our relationship to things are going to be so much different. You're going to be able to go up to a bobcat and scratch him behind the ears. And he can curl up on your lap and put your legs to sleep as he, as he curls up on your lap in front of the fireplace while you're scratching his... Maybe when you're in southwest Florida, maybe you'll be able to mount, maybe the children will be able to mount the great white sharks. Put a lasso around them and, and you know, who knows. But the, everything is going to be completely different. No more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. I don't know about you, but this, this year I've cried more than I have in my whole life. In fact, in the last few months I've cried more than I've cried in my whole life. For the things that are happening in our country, the things that are happening in the world, Things that are happening in the church. Has your heart been broken? Mine has. I'm looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth. And why would there need to be a new heavens and a new earth? Well, they've been defiled by Satan. This heaven... The, you know, the, the, the heavens and the earth, they've been defiled by Satan. Not the throne room where God dwells, but everything else. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what does the Bible say in Ephesians 2? It tells us that Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the ruler of this world right now, but his power is going to be revoked shortly. I'm looking forward to that too. When that angel comes down from heaven and puts a chain on that old serpent, the serpent of old, the devil and Satan, and cast him into the abyss for a thousand years while we live for a thousand years in the millennium. I'm looking forward to that. We talked about that the last couple of weeks. But he's the prince of the power of the air. He's defiled heaven and earth. Remember in Job chapter 1, it says that there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves... Oh, wrong, wrong slide yet. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Can you believe that? So Satan has access to heaven. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Oh, going fro to and, to and from on the earth, or to and fro upon the earth, and from walking back and forth on it. So it needs to be replaced. And this verse that we just looked at confirms that. But the Bible talks that there are three heavens. Three heavens. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2, Paul said this. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. He's speaking of himself in the third person. He had a vision of heaven, of the third heaven. And there are three heavens. The first one is the one right above us, the clouds and the birds, this atmosphere that we have, that's the first heaven. The second heaven is where the abode of the planets and the stars, out in outer space, you might think, and far beyond where no telescope can even comprehend is the abode of God. And that's the place that Paul says, this is where I got an image of. I got a glimpse of heaven. I got a glimpse of heaven. And because God's abode cannot be defiled, Everything else under it is defiled. The very stars, the very heavens that are around us now, the, the atmosphere has all been defiled by Satan. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter spoke to those and he said, Be sober, be, be, vili- or be vigilant, <laughs> because your adversary, the devil, he walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Do you ever feel like you've been devoured by the devil? I felt like that. He can't have my soul. And if you're a believer, he can't take you either. But he can make your life a mess if you let him. He can ruin your testimony. He can ruin your witness. He can't take your salvation from you. But have you, have you felt like that? Have you felt like you've been devoured sometimes because of the things that you've allowed because of our laziness? I know I have. But I would encourage you to resist him. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Being a Christian is not easy. If somebody tells you that being a Christian is easy, they're, they're not telling you the truth. It is the most blessed place to be. It's great to be a Christian. Honestly, I would not want to be anything other. I didn't even know I was in a battle before I came to Christ, and then I realized, oh my goodness, there's a huge battle that I was completely dead to. I didn't, wasn't even aware of it. I was a casualty in the battle. I wasn't even aware of it. 
but resist him steadfast in the faith. I love that. That's what he's saying to you. Steadfast in the faith. That's who you are. That's who God wants you to be. Be steadfast in the faith. Be steadfast in the faith. Resist him, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And see, at some point, we looked at this in the tribulation period, which we were talking about weeks ago. Some point and during that tribulation period, specifically around Revelation chapter 12, the devil and the devil's angels, those who have followed him in his rebellion, were cast out of heaven. That is yet future to us today. There's going to come a point where God's going to say, you're no longer able to be in heaven in this area. You're not, you're not going to be able to approach my throne any longer. I'm booting you out and you're going, to, you're going down to the earth. And what does it say in Revelation 12? It says a war broke out in heaven. This is verse 7 of chapter 12. War broke out in heaven. And again, as we're reading this, remember, it is yet future to us now. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, who was Satan. And the dragon and his angels, they fought, but they did not prevail, nor could they. But nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. And so the great dragon, who we already know as Satan, was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. These are the demons. And then down in verse 12, what does it say? Therefore, rejoice, O heavens. (laughs) Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth, though. Why? For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. A short time. And that's why that period of time that we looked at, have been looking at, is so awful. The devil is going to be unleashed and his rage is going to be amazing. The deception, unlike anything ever we've ever seen. And that's what makes this whole new heavens and the new earth a lot sweeter to me. So notice it says in verse 1 here in our text, it says the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. We see this in the Old Testament prophets. In Isaiah 65 verse 7, what does Isaiah say? Writing some 700 years before Jesus was even incarnate in the Virgin Mary. What does it say? For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Isaiah prophesying of the time that we're looking at this morning. In Isaiah 62, verse 22, For as the new heavens and the new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain a permanence, an assurance of a new heavens and a new earth. And this current heavens and this current earth will be dissolved in fervent heat. What does Peter tell us in chapter 3, in verse 3? Know this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. Have you met some of those? They might be people in your family. You got to be kidding. This sounds like a big Star Wars kind of thing. Beam me up. I mean, or, you know, a Star Trek thing. Beam me up, Scotty. Is that really what's going to happen to you? Yeah, right. I, I believe it when I see it, right? Scoffers. Scoffers. Peter said, know this first, that scoffers will come in the last days. That's what we're living in right now, by the way. Walking according what? To their own lusts and saying, and here's what they're saying, and you've heard this too. Where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. You thought that was an original idea? That thought that you've heard from somebody? Oh, they've been telling us he's coming for a long time. He hasn't come yet. You guys are a bunch, you're full of hot air. Has anybody told you that? I have. You're crazy. You're losing your mind. Praise the Lord. All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That's what they say. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with the water. Remember the flood? It was flooded by water. God sent the rainbow afterwards. Says I make a promise. I won't do it by water ever again. The whole globe. I won't do it by water but by fire. Yes. Notice what he says by which the world then existed, perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, and Peter's speaking of, he was speaking of this in the first century, he says, but the heavens and earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for what? Fire, until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. This current heavens and earth will dissolve. Notice what he goes on in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. If you're a scientist, pay attention. 
If you know enough about science and the nucleus of the atom, this will confound you and give you a great encouragement because the very power, the scientists call it the God particle, they don't understand how the nucleus can hold together because by all physics, everything should be blowing out. But something is holding that power at bay, those molecules that make up this thing that we're seeing, that make up this microphone, that make up you and I. Those molecules are being held together by God's power. But he says, there's one day God's going to say, didn't he say, let there be heavens, let there be, let there be the earth, let there be all the creatures? Didn't he, didn't he say, let there be light, let there be man, let there be teeming fish in the oceans? Didn't he say all that? He's spoken into existence when there was nothing. He can do the same thing in reverse if he chooses to, and it sounds like he's going to. He says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner, um, oh, I'm sorry, I got to back up. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, verse 11, since all these things will be dissolved, and here's the exhortation, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, he's speaking of Jesus, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, what are we looking for? We're looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. There it is. New heavens and the new earth. And notice back in our text in verse 1, we're not getting very far. That's okay. I'm not worried. Are you guys okay? (laughs) I'm really excited this morning. Thanks. But notice what it says at the end of that verse. And also there was no more sea. We know that even in the millennial reign of Christ, the thousand year reign that we're going to reign with him, there'll be, the earth will be pretty much like it is now. There'll be some changes, but there'll still be bodies of water. But not in the new earth and the new heaven Certainly in the new earth, there won't be any rivers. There'll be rivers, a river actually, but there'll be no other seas or oceans or lakes. There's only one body of water mentioned, and we'll see that, that it's the river of life. And because there'll be no more sea, there'll be a dramatic change in the weather and the climate. There'll be much more, a much more stable environment. Then I, John, verse 2, saw the holy city, notice the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's a holy city. Jerusalem, the the old Jerusalem, the one that's in the Middle East right now, or the Near East, that hasn't been called by God holy a lot. It has been called holy, but it's also been called something else. In Revelation 11, verse 8, what does it say? When it's speaking of these witnesses, these two witnesses that are going to be killed during the tribulation period that we were talking about, notice what it says in verse 8. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was also crucified. Where's that? It's Jerusalem. And God likens it to Sodom and Gomorrah. He likens it to the world, Egypt, because that's what had happened. That's why God allowed the judgment of the temple. That's why he allowed his people to go into captivity because of their idolatry, because of their sin. He'd been talking to them for years and years and years, prophesying hundreds of years in advance, warning them, warning them, but they did not listen. Are you the type of person that's stubborn? Will you listen to God? A lot of people are. They just dig their heels in. I remember seeing a lady... Uh, taking a dog for a walk, and the dog didn't want to go. And it was a pretty big dog. And the dog just put out its legs like that, you know, the, for, the forward legs and the backward legs, and she's trying to pull him, and, you know, the, the ring is going over his neck like this. She's, you know, she's got her earbuds in, you know, trying to pull the dog. He's not going anywhere. Stubborn. We're like that. And so the holy city, the new Jerusalem, is coming down out of heaven, notice, prepared as a bride. How beautiful it's going to be. We're going to see a description of it. It's going to blow your socks off. It's going to knock your socks off. And John tries to describe it for us in the text that we're going to look at next week. He tries to describe it in terms, in, in, in terms that can be understood. 
But he's having a hard time because it's so gorgeous. It's like this. It's like that. Hasn't that been the case with us so far? As he talks about things that are in heaven, it's, it's sort of like this. It's kind of like this. It's like this. Because it's hard to describe the beauty of what God has prepared for those who love him. A place that God has promised for us. It's going to come down out of heaven from God. It seems that this new Jerusalem has already been built, perhaps, or in the process of being built. Remember what it says in John chapter 14? What did Jesus say that night that he was taken after the, the Last Supper? What did he tell his disciples? What did he tell Peter? He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, And when you see the dimensions of this new Jerusalem that are laid out for us next week, your jaw is going to drop. And that is a hook to get you to come and listen. It's amazing how big this place is. There's going to be plenty of room. Plenty of room. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Notice that where I am, there you may be also. That you may be also. That where I am, you may be also. That's why the rapture, when he comes, we're going to meet him in the clouds. He's not coming down to earth at the rapture. We're going to meet him. We're going to be resurrected, and we're going to meet him, the dead in Christ first, and then we which afterwards that are alive and remain. And I'll have you remember that the current earth that we we are currently living on right now, it's going to be here for at least another thousand and seven years. At at the very least, if if the Lord was to return for the church today, this earth, the sun and the moon and everything else is going to last for a thousand and seven years. Why do I say that? Because if we were raptured right now, we know there's a seven year tribulation period, then we know there's a millennial reign of Christ. Some things will change, but for the most part, everything's going to be somewhat different. But we are going to be living on this earth. We're going to look at the same moon, folks. The same sun in the, in the sky. You and I will be changed in our new bodies. There seems to be three locations. And, and some of you may have the question in your mind, because I've thought of it myself as I was preparing this, and just to, by way of making things clearer for you, there seems to be three locations for the redeemed. The Bible says that when we die, believers die, they are immediately in the presence of God. That's what it says. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when we die, we go to heaven. So we, right now, we go to heaven, the abode of God. But we also know that there's another place of bliss And we've been talking about that the last two weeks, the millennial reign of Christ. There'll still be death, but there will be longevity of life. It will be a place where Jesus will rule and reign on the earth in Jerusalem for a thousand years, and we will reign with him. But at the end of that thousand-year reign, he creates a new heavens and a new earth, and that's what this next place is. This is the final place. So you think of it, if I was to die right now, my spirit, my soul would go to God. My body would lie in the grave until he comes in the rapture. He will take my body, transform it. I go to him or you, you know, at the same time. And we're with him for that amount of time. Then we come back when Jesus comes back in his second coming. We come back with him to the earth, physically to the earth for the thousand year reign. And then at the end of that thousand year reign, a new heavens and a new earth the final repository, if you will, the final place of eternal bliss. There's nothing more after this. This is it. And the new Jerusalem, and you and I will dwell in it, and we'll look at that next week. I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to that. I've heard people say, you know what, it just sounds so boring. You know, I want to go to hell where all my friends are. We'll have a party in hell. Really? Is it going to be like a, a, a six-pack of Bud Light? And a, and a dartboard and some peanuts on a table, in a pool table? Really? You're going to party with your friends in hell? I don't think so. But yet God wants you to be with him. Do you want to be with him? He wants to be with you. 
You know, there are some Christians I've talked to that are like, you know what, I don't, I'm, I'm afraid, I don't, I don't want to go to, I, I mean, I, I think I want to go to heaven, but I'm not really ready, I, you know, whatever. I'm like, you know, don't worry, God will get you there. But do you desire to see him? Because he desires to see you. Don't be afraid. So there'll be no need to panic. Even now, don't panic. Are you worried about global warming? Let me tell you something. I read the Bible. There's another thousand, at least another thousand and seven years left on this earth. God mentioned nothing about global warming. It's coming at the end, believe me. That's the kind of global warming that AOC and Bernie Sanders... Hopefully they won't see that, okay? I'm not wishing anything. I, hopefully they turn from their, you know, and turn to Christ. I'm not saying that. But what they're pro- promoting and, and, and saying that we're all going to die within 11 years, you know, all this global warming, trust me, with all authority of heaven on my side, it's hogwash. When you start placing current events in the light of what's coming, are you really worried too much? Is God really wringing his hands and going, oh, those fossil fuels? can't believe it. Got to shut down that pipeline. Spewing this toxins in the air and messing with the clouds. God's not concerned. People are. I mean, we should be good stewards. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying just be a complete pagan and be a fool. No, we, we need to be careful. It's good to do that. But know this, that when God says it's going to continue, it's going to continue. Who cares what man says? Who cares what scientists think about this, these issues? It's going to be there, and you can trust it. You can trust God. Trust God. Will you trust God, or will you trust the opinions of the, of the, of the people who know? I'll get off my whatever. But notice, and I heard a loud voice, verse 3, from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. God will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, this tabernacle of God with men. You think of the Old Testament. What was the physical presence? What was the box that was literally the, the physical presence of God for the Jew back in the Old Testament? Back when they, when they came into the desert, what was it? It was the Ark of the Covenant, wasn't it? It was, it was a tabernacle. What was inside the tabernacle? It was the Holy of Holies, this Ark of the Covenant where the, the tables of, uh, of the Ten Commandments, those two tables of stone were in there, and the rod that budded from Aaron, and the little thing of manna. And what happened when Jesus came to the earth? Jesus also was tabernacled just like that Holy of Holies, just like that Ark of the Covenant. Jesus was tabernacled. It literally means a tent or be, to be encamped, to, uh, to, be, to take on, to dwell, to, to be tabernacled, to be tented. And isn't that what happened with Jesus? The one who's always lived forever? He was tabernacled. What does it tell us in John 1.14? It says, and the word, speaking of the Logos, speaking of Jesus, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt means tabernacled. He was tabernacled. He put on human flesh. He didn't need it prior to, he, he lived in eternity just fine without it, but now he's got human flesh. He was tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory, John says, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And notice, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. You know, during the church age, and throughout even the tribulation period, which is yet future to us, the tribulation anyway, Jesus hasn't been physically present on the earth, has he? He's spoken to you, he's ministered to you, but he will be, he will be during the thousand year reign on this earth and into eternity in the new earth, new heavens, and the new Jerusalem. Think of it, perfect bliss. I'm so looking forward to that, aren't you? Is there anything this world holds that has captured your heart to where you're like, I'm not ready to go because I want this. I want to experience this before I go to heaven. A lot of people do, and there's nothing wrong with that. 
But let me suggest to you, the more you understand the reality of who he is and the plan that he has, I'm like, now would be really good. I want to go now. I can't wait. I'm not afraid. I want to be with him in the presence of perfection and beauty, perfect compassion, perfect forgiveness. Oh my, it's going to be so incredible, folks. And notice verse 4, and we'll, we'll end, we'll probably have to end here. It says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes at this, and this new heavens and the new earth. All tears are going to be going away. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And these are some of the characteristics of this eternal state. There'll be no more crying. I won't have to be, I won't be heartbroken anymore about my own self, about things that have happened to family members or, or struggles that I'm in or circumstances that I find myself in. There's going to be no more crying. and There's going to be no more death. The last enemy that will be destroyed, it says in Scripture, will be death. And by this time, death will have been vanquished and it will have been cast into the lake of fire, never to be seen again. You know, even during the millennial reign, there was death. People lived a long time. They will be living a long time because... Some part of the curse will be lifted, but there'll be other things that will still remain, and death will be one of them. There will be death. But there'll be no more pain. For those of you who had surgery or, or Barb Williams, you know, the pain that we experience, the pain that Pastor Kevin is experiencing, the pain that some of you are experiencing, it's all going to go away. You'll never feel pain ever again. You'll never wake up, guys, at 4 o'clock in the morning to go to work and feel like somebody hit you with a sledgehammer in your back. You'll never feel that pain. And there'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more sorrow. In Isaiah 35, verse 10, Isaiah records for us, And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. There will be overwhelming joy. Overwhelming joy. In fact, in John's Gospel, Jesus... Oh, there we go. Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, that you will sleep and, or that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. Because, see, that's our existence here on this planet. We, we live in enemy territory. I don't know if you've felt that or discerned that, that you are living on enemy ground. Did, did, have you, can you feel it? Because persecution for the church hasn't really been that great, but it's coming. It's coming. But notice Jesus' words, even to his disciples, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. They can't wait to get rid of us. They would love to get rid of us. In fact, when the rapture occurs, when they finally realize what has happened, and the church has been removed, Congress is going to stand up and cheer and they are going to run through every filthy thing that they've ever wanted. The whole, all the world's courts are going to be so glad because there'll be no resistance to anything that they want to do. You want to have an abortion? We'll not only make it law, but we'll give you the tools to do it. We'll even give you the painkillers to help afterwards. We'll give you everything. Free school, free everything. Everything is free, 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 free. You don't have to pay a thing. It's all taken care of by the government that loves you, that has enslaved you. I mean, uh... The government that, uh, yeah, that loves you. Yeah, that's it. Hmm. Jesus said, therefore, you, now you have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and we'll end here, and your joy no one will take from you, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have not asked anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Ask. Even now, ask. Are you afraid to ask? Ask the impossible. If it's God's will, it's going to happen. 
I've seen him do it. I've seen him, you know, I've asked him things and he hasn't responded, but there have been things that I've asked him that seemed impossible that he's done. He is able. How big is your God? Is he a God that you pull out of your Cracker Jacks box? Most Christians in America, that's who their God is. He's this little God who needs some help. But let me tell you, when you believe in Jesus Christ and you know your Bible, you realize that God Almighty, oh, he is so much bigger and greater than anything you can even imagine with your f- finite mind. Eternity won't be enough time for us to understand his love and grace. It won't be enough. We'll never figure him out. We're, our jaw will always be drawing flies because our mouth will be hitting the ground. I can't believe you did that. I can't believe you had the understanding to do that when you knew this would happen. God's like, I got it covered. Before that happened, I was already a billion steps ahead. I'd already checked the king. The game was already over from my perspective, God would say. And I'm on your side because you're on my side. There'll be no more sea in this place. No more sea. The only body of water mentioned is a river of life. There'll be no need for the sun or the moon. Whether there'll be a sun or moon, I don't really know. The Bible's not completely clear. There may be a sun or moon, but it won't be needed for the new Jerusalem, which we'll look at next week, because when you see the dimensions of this thing, your jaw is going to drop. It takes up the majority of the United States of America. That's how big it is. I'll show you a graphic that'll really open your eyes to how big that the Bible tells us that this is going to be. And believe me, there'll be more than enough room, ample room for every one of you. There'll be tons of room for you individually. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful place for eternity. And there will be no more need for the sun or the moon and no more night there. You won't need to sleep. You won't. I love sleeping. In fact, when the service is over, guess what I'm going to do? When I leave this place, as I always do on Sunday morning, I go to my bed, and I take my shoes off, and I collapse. For about an hour, you can ask my family, that's what I do. Lazy slug. But no more night. Why is there no more night? Because the Lamb will be the light thereof. Jesus, the illumination from him of who he is, the Shekinah glory, which had, had departed from the temple before the Babylonian captivity. Remember that? It records it for us in Ezekiel 8 through, I think, 11. It talks about the Shekinah glory slowly leaving the temple mount. Finally, God just says, you know what? I'm done with this. You guys have, you're just going through the motions. He's telling the Jews, you've gone through the motions. You're making the sacrifices, but you might as well not because I'm not hearing you because you're still in your sin. You've never repented. You're just playing games with me. And God removes himself, and all they're left with is a temple that is empty, devoid of real godliness, devoid of real influence. But yet, because we're man, we keep going through like a little hamster on the wheel. We just, you know, we keep going forward, doing our best we can, God says, I'm done with it. But he is going to be the light of this place. I don't know about you, but I love light. I love light, even in a house. I don't like darkness, except when I'm sleeping. I love light. And that's just the physical light. There's a light that is different. Talked about that in Genesis, didn't it? Let there be light. It wasn't this light. It's kind of curious. But God is awesome, isn't he? And he's got a wonderful plan, and he's got it all taken care of. And it's going to unwind for us, and we're going to see it. We're going to see him face to face. I want to encourage you to read ahead next week. You know, we only got through the first four verses here. We'll finish the chapter next week. But be encouraged that regardless of what you're going through, your heartache, your pain, it's not the end, folks. It's not the end. God has a plan, and the plan is good. He can't be outwitted. There's nothing that can happen in Congress. There's nothing that can happen in Europe. There's nothing that can happen in the world that he's wringing his hands about. No, he's very well aware of what's going on. He's allowing it, but he knows it very intimately, 
And he's like, don't you worry. Don't you worry, church. Fear not. Trust me. Trust me. Keep looking up. Looking at me. Stay in my word. Stay in my word. Stay in fellowship. You continue doing those things and let your heart be at peace. Let your heart be at peace. Do not fear. Let's do that. What do you say? Can we do that? Let's not be in fear any longer. Let's focus on the one who is all things. Let's focus on Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we thank you for this this time this morning. Lord, we thank you for the great heritage that you have before us. We thank you for the great hope that we have. Lord, it's a blessed hope. It's a blessed hope because we know where we're going. And Father, I pray that everyone here knows where they are going beyond the shadow of a doubt. And Lord, if there is anyone here or online that is not sure, God, may they cry out to you. It doesn't take much, God. You know that. It's, just, it's as simple as a, as a prayer away to really be born again. It's no secret. It's no... We don't have to go through a bunch of hoops and fulfill a bunch of requirements before you accept us. We simply come to Christ. Accept him. Lord, we want to receive you. Lord, would you inhabit, Lord, everything that we do. Come inside of us, God. If you haven't already, Lord, consume us. Consume us. The non-Christian and the Christian, consume us, God. Make us worshipers of yours. Set our hearts on things that are pure, that are lovely, that are things of good report, Lord. Things that are good, not things that are twisted and perverse, God. Cleanse our hearts and our minds. May we focus on you, Jesus. You, the, you alone are the omnipotent God, and we worship you and give you thanks. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Amen.